Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good evening, everybody. Are you okay? Oh, that's very nice. Thank you. Have you noticed that I've got a prop behind me? Are you excited about it? Yeah? Um, those of you that know me know I love a good prop. I think the last time, it may have been the last time, I can't remember, I had my laundry baskets with me. This time, you have a pin board. I'm gonna try, are you ready for the big reveal? This is great. I love that. I love that. This is my uh, pin board here. Um, now, this pin board is going to do some great work for us this evening. Um, as we go through, um, it, we're doing this series, as Josh said, on Resurrection Hope, based on the book from Timothy Keller, which is Hope in Times of Fear. And this pin board is going to help us as we think through that reading that we just heard um, today from 1 Corinthians 15, and think about how we can have certain hope. And we're going to investigate the evidence of the resurrection. Now, I'm not going to lie, quite a lot of the material that I'm going to talk about today is from this book, from Timothy Keller, uh, who was, um, you know, very influenced by Tom Wright and some other great theologians. But I have to say, I don't think either Timothy Keller or Tom Wright have ever used a pinboard in one of their sermons. So it's new, it's original, hey? But we're going to look at the resurrection because it's the cornerstone of the Christian faith. But for many people, it just seems a little bit too far-fetched for them to grasp. And and they've got doubts about whether it's um, true or not, questions about it. So, you know, perhaps the body was just stolen. Or those people that saw him after, after Easter Sunday, they were just hallucinating Or maybe it's a legend that's been passed down through generations. Or there's some great conspiracy theory happening at play. Now, this pinboard, it might not be quite as high-tech as CSI or as marvelous as Sherlock's Mind Palace, but I think it's going to help us or maybe just remind us as we look at this particular excerpt from um, the letter to the Corinthians And also we're going to have a think about some of the things in the Gospels, so why we can have certain hope in the resurrection, because it's all in the evidence. So can I encourage you to have your Bible open at 1 Corinthians 15, or if you've got it on a device, so as we have a look at this together, um, we can examine um, the claims um, that he makes. So are you ready? Um, So we're going to look at three different bits of evidence. We're going to have a look at the evidence of the empty tomb, the evidence of the eyewitnesses, and the evidence of transformed lives. So first of all, let's have a focus in on the evidence of the empty tomb. Now, the great Sherlock Holmes, he said this, when you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. And we're going to have a look at um, the empty tomb to see if we can eliminate the improbable or the impossible. And in verses 4 to 5, Paul says this, Christ died 
was buried and was raised on the third day. So let's have a look at each of those claims in turn and see what we can investigate. First of all, we're going to have a look at the crucifixion that Jesus was crucified. He died. In fact, he was tortured. I don't know if any of you have watched The Passion. Um, it'll get you, give you a, some kind of mental picture of the torture that Jesus went through. And then he was nailed to a cross for six hours. And then there's, we've got in, in the Gospel of John a little bit of medical es- evidence. It was, it's kind of accidental medical evidence, but the soldier slit his side and there was this separation of water and blood, which is evidence that someone is dead. So the, and the soldiers, they must have been convinced that he was dead because if they let a prisoner go um, alive, that could have meant for them, that would have meant for them um, that they would have been um, sentenced to death. So Jesus, he was definitely dead. As Paul writes it here, we know that he was definitely dead. And then we have a look at the tomb. He says that Jesus was buried. And there was a man named Joseph from Arimathea. And he went and he took Jesus' body down from the cross and he wrapped it in, him in grave clothes And he took him and he put him in a tomb. And there were some people around at the time who were worried that Jesus' body was going to be um, stolen because they'd heard a few things that he'd said. So in order to ensure that the tomb was secure, they rolled this massive stone in front of the tomb that would have taken several men to, to move. And then they put this Roman seal around it and then they put some guards um, around the tomb. So this, um, so Jesus' body was definitely buried. There was no way that anyone could get in and steal it. And then we have a look at the fact that on Easter Sunday, the tomb was empty. Because early on Sunday morning, Mary, she goes to the tomb, and she finds that the seal's broken, the The tombstone has been rolled away and there wasn't a Roman soldier to be found anywhere. And she goes, she goes inside of the tomb and sees that it's empty. There's no body. Jesus isn't there. But just the grave clothes, they were neatly folded on um, in in the tomb. What happened to the body? The The disciples couldn't have taken it because they were so um, depressed and upset by everything that had happened. They were hidden away. And you have to ask yourself the question, why would they risk their life later on saying that they'd seen him and they had been resurrected if if they'd just hidden him? The authorities, they wouldn't have hidden it because they wanted to quash this whole rumor that Jesus had been resurrected. So... Why would they hide it? Evidence that he hadn't been resurrected is here, here's the body. And robbers, they couldn't have taken it because, I mean, why leave the most valuable bits in the, in the tomb, which is the, the grave clothes? So I think if Sherlock Holmes was looking at this, um, his advice is really helpful here. We have eliminated the impossible. And we're left with the fact that the tomb was empty. And of course, if there was a a body present in that grave, it wouldn't be so believable that Jesus had 
been resurrected. So, the tomb is empty. Let's have a look at the second bit of evidence, which is the eyewitnesses. Now, so we've got, we've got the, the tomb, but tomb's empty. Does that mean that Jesus was resurrected? You have to ask that question, but in verses 6 to 8, Paul shares that people saw Jesus. From Easter Sunday, when they discovered the tomb was empty, for the next 40 days, people saw Jesus. Now, if I said to you that this afternoon when I was walking my dog, I saw Barack Obama in uh, Kirkstall Abbey, you might go, you need to get your eyes tested, Julia. Have you been drinking? Are you sure? You might want to question me a little bit. Josh is nodding. But if Josh said... Do you know what? I was down at Costa. Is that where you go? Costa? Costa. And I saw Barack Obama come in. You, like, you might go, hmm, maybe it's... And then if you heard that he was doing a talk down at the arena and some of your friends had tickets, you might feel a little bit more convinced that I am not hallucinating. It, the evidence stacks up, stacks up. And as we look at the different people that saw... Um, saw Jesus resurrected, again, the evidence stacks up. First of all, we have the news. This was hot news of the time. It was common knowledge. In fact, there's a story towards the end of Acts, in Acts 26, when Paul was a prisoner in Caesarea, and he's asked to make his case to this new governor called Festus, and, and Festus can't kind of get to grips why he's um, in prison. And um, he, he doesn't feel that he really he should be, but he doesn't want to make the decision for himself. So um, the king, king Agrippa, who's the king of Judea and Galilee, he's visiting at the time. So he decides to make an audience um, for Paul so he can get, set his case to him and get um, King Agrippa's advice. And it, when, when, when he's got this audience and King Agrippa's there, Paul starts telling him about Jesus, the things that he's done. And he also starts telling him about how he'd met with him on the road to Damascus. And then he starts telling him about Jesus' resurrection. And Festus can't take it any longer. He says, stop, stop. I think you're going, you're driving, you're, you've, you've gone insane. All this um, talking and all this learning that you've been doing, you're so learned that it's just, it's driven you a little bit mad. And this is what Paul says, Acts 26, verse 25 to 26. He says, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. Paul tells them that the resurrection, it's, it's careful and rational thought. He's not going insane. But also that the facts weren't done in a corner. Agrippa, he would have known all about this. He'd have heard it. He was there at the time of Jesus' death and resurrection. Everyone knew about it. It was the talk of town. And then we have this letter itself that we're looking at today to the church of Corinth. And in this letter, Paul's doing what he did with Festus and Agrippa in verses 3 to 7. 
It's an important bit of evidence because not only was it only written 20 years after Jesus' death, but also those verses 3 to 7, that is Paul quoting ideas formulated from within months of Jesus' death that were widely used for evangelism purposes. So this knocks out the idea that the resurrection was a legend passed through the different generations because the people sharing that gospel message were present witnesses of the events of Jesus' death and resurrection. And Paul, he goes on to share who some of those witnesses are. First of all, in verse 5, he says it was Cephas, which is the Hebrew um, name for Peter, and then the twelve. And after Jesus had died, actually all hope had died for the disciples. And they were, the disciples were so struck with grief that they'd um, got themselves together and they stuck together. But it wasn't just that. They were also frightened. Frightened that the Jewish leaders might come after them um, too. So they locked themselves in a room to protect themselves. And they weren't these great men of faith at that particular moment in history. Yet in their grief and in their fear, they witnessed, um, they were witness to, witnesses to the risen Lord. It says in, um, actually, Jesus came into the, to the room, into the locked room, and he said to them, he spoke into their fear and he said, peace be with you. But it wasn't just the disciples. In verse 6, Paul says he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at that time. Now, what you need to know is that Jews didn't believe in the resurrection in this way. They weren't expecting this or hoping for this. It wasn't part of their culture to to think that way. That, That kind of thing wasn't even known or thought of in history. Dead people stayed dead. And yet lots of people saw them. And with that many people involved, it couldn't possibly have been a hallucination. And then um, I've got the map here, just to illustrate that for 40 days Jesus walked around and he um, was in different places and different circumstances. So he not only met the disciples in Judea, but he also met two guys um, on the road to Emmaus. And he appeared on a mountain and and another time at the beach in Galilee. And he was seen, um, there was like this also this strangeness about Jesus as well. He still had the wounds from his crucifixion, but, you know, his body was transformed somehow. People couldn't always recognize him, but other times um, they recognized him straight away. And he could also walk through walls and he could, but he could still eat breakfast and you could touch him. And I think the other bit of um, evidence that Paul is sharing with him is so significant at that time is that um, in verse 6 it says, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. There's an invitation there from Paul to the Corinthian church to go and ask these people for themselves. They were there. They'd seen it. Go and see, talk to them, hear their testimony of what they saw of the risen Jesus. And you know, the strongest form of witness in a court of law is a testimony. To be able to say, I saw it. And Paul 
he's at the end of this list. He tells us in verse 8, and, the last, and last of all he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. Paul, who was against Christianity, had been, put, had been putting people in jail for making the claim to follow Jesus. He'd been trying to stamp out God's church out of existence. Yet he also said, I saw him. He said, he came to me and I, I saw him alive. Paul didn't want to believe in Jesus. He wanted to control his life and have got God fit into his own understanding. But Jesus, he blew this out of the water when he appeared to him. Paul had re- evidence of the resurrection. Now, the first challenge is to accept the evidence that Jesus died, was buried, and was raised on the third day. It happened. The tomb was empty, and the witnesses saw him. That evidence can give us certain hope in that. But Timothy Keller, he says, belief in the resurrection is never merely an intellectual process. We are not computers. We are flesh and blood human beings. And when we confront the claim of the resurrection, we address it, not only with logic, but with a lifetime of hopes and fears and pre-existing faith commitments. The final challenge, once you've accepted that Jesus, you can have certain hope that Jesus was resurrected, is to ask yourself the question, how this affects my life? If you believe in the resurrection, you need to let it affect your life. It's more than just evidence of a historical event. That's um, not really Christian faith. Christian faith is an encounter with a person. It's an encounter with Jesus and it's transformation. So we're going to have a look in our final bit of evidence at some of those encounters. And first of all, I want to talk about one of our disciples, um, of Jesus' disciples, Thomas. Now, we don't know loads about Thomas. In fact, he wasn't with the other disciples when Jesus first came to him in, in that room. He was, uh, he was so terribly depressed um, that he'd, he'd gone away. And he wasn't actually very impressed when his friends came up to him and said, we've just seen Jesus, Thomas. Um, when, when, they say, when he says he's seen them, he, in fact, he says he doesn't believe them and he lays down some conditions He says unless he could put his fingers through the piercings in his hands and touch the side where the sphere had been thrust, well, he just couldn't even contemplate it, believing in it. For him, you just couldn't survive those wounds. Now, I don't think that that is an uncommon reaction, doubting or not believing in something until it's actually there. And I feel like the pandemic has um, brought that out a little bit more than most. It's brought the Thomas out in us. Not wanting to believe that we're going to get to go on holiday until we actually get there. Or have our wedding until we actually get there. Or go for our graduation until we're in that moment. Until we're there and it's happening. And somehow... My observation is, for myself and for other people, we suppress our emotions and we close our eyes to possibilities because we don't want to have false hope. 
But you know, when Thomas sees Jesus and Jesus says, here, touch my wounds. Thomas, he falls to his knees and he says, my Lord, my God. What a profession of faith that is. If Jesus had stayed dead in the tomb, Thomas couldn't believe that that was true. He could only grieve that all hope was dead. But since he met with, with the risen Jesus, who knew just what Thomas needed in that moment, he couldn't not believe. The resurrection, it proves that Jesus said, what Jesus said about himself is true. He is fully God and fully human. And he knew all of Thomas's doubts and his fears and his cynicism and his failures. And those wounds, they aren't just a testimony of God's power, but also of God's love. And I, I think that Thomas's story has um, helps us to know that it's okay to doubt sometimes. And maybe you have doubts yourself and you've been wanting a sign that Jesus is who he says he is. Well, I, w- I want to invite you this evening as we respond later to let Jesus show you who he is and how much he loves you and to take some time to do that and know him as your Lord and your God. We're also going to have a look at um, Paul. Paul tells us in verse 9 that he was, he was persecuting God's people. In fact, it was more, you know, that, what that means is he killed people because of their faith in Jesus. Happily. How do you get past that? In verse 9, Paul also says that he doesn't deserve to be an apostle. He's like the least worthy. Yet in verse 10, he tells us that through the grace of God, he's the one that's borne the most fruit. That's quite a, a bold statement to make. But you see, Paul knew that he wasn't in his sins because of the resurrection. Jesus made the payment for his sins when he died on the cross. And all our sins, for that matter, all our mess, all of our sins, all of our mess, all of our suffering, all of our shame, we only know that the debt was paid because of the empty tomb, because of Jesus' resurrection. And that's what transformed Paul's life. He wasn't held back by the need to to please people or um, worrying about his own self-image or whether he was performing well or the sins of his past. He had complete freedom in who he was because he knew that he was fully accepted by God through Jesus and he could confidently be used by God to share the gospel. And he continues to share this good news today as we read um, his letter Because what was true for Paul then is true for us today. We can know freedom through the resurrection of Christ. And and maybe for some of you um, here, there are things that you're holding back from knowing the power of the resurrection in your life. Maybe there are things that just keep coming back to haunt you or you can't get free from. And so we'd love to pray for you um, this evening if you'd like to know God's forgiveness and grace in your life like Paul did. 
And finally, I don't know if you've looked at social media, but there's loads of photos on there of Easter Sunday. This is one from the 10.30 service. And it was, it was such a joy to worship on Easter Sunday that Jesus is risen. We, the, the place was packed in the morning. We, we did it again in the evening for the 18.30 service. And you can see, as you look through those photos, the joy in people's hearts as they come to worship the risen Jesus. But you know, as part of, part of my job, I have the privilege of getting to know some of you a little bit more. And I know that some of your stories, and I know for some of you, you've, you're struggling Maybe it's you're struggling with mental health or feelings of failure or disappointment that things aren't quite how you'd hope they'd be. Fears for what, what you might face in the future. We've all got a story to tell. But it was so exciting to see on Easter Sunday that the camera captured the worshipful hearts of our church at the knowledge of the risen Lord. And I just wanted, I've, I've, um, I've just lined up Ethan to come and just share a little bit with, with us about um, how knowing the truth of the resurrection has helped him in his faith. What, how has it transformed his life and made a difference to him? You happy to share? Yeah, no problem. Um, so I grew up um, in a Christian family. I had the immense privilege of, um, from my birth, being taken to church every Sunday and uh, hearing the story of the resurrection again and again. And I myself have looked into some of this evidence that we were presented today, and that has helped me to grow in my certainty of the resurrection and the eternal hope that that gives us. Um, And that hope has been a real constant in my life and it's helped me through some of the toughest challenges. Um, So I moved to the UK just a year and a half ago and when I moved I didn't know anyone around um, and everything was very new to me. Um, And that was a real challenge and it was that certainty and that eternal hope that we have through the knowledge of the resurrection and all the evidence that we have for that, that kept me going. Um, And it helped me through difficulties of lockdown, and it's still helping me now as I get up to exams and things are tiring and challenging, being able to come here today and hear a great message and be able to celebrate the beauty of the resurrection has been a real help in my life and I think in the lives of many Christians. Thank you, Ethan. Thank you. Give a round of applause. Thanks. And I just wanted to share a little bit of my own testimony um, as well, if, that, if you don't mind. I've talked quite a lot, haven't I? Um, so, uh, for me, I feel like I've been going through a little bit of a season. It's been a strange season. It's a season of losing loved ones. And actually, it's been, it's been tough, but I felt like I could still raise, I can still always raise my arms in worship for the risen Christ because the resurrection says that Jesus was raised. 
and there's an answer to the deaths of those people that I love. And that has really helped me as I've, I've processed it. And even though I know that some of them suffered, um, suffered in, their, in their death and the aftermath has been painful because, um, yeah, we miss them. Um, knowing that there, the resurrection, there, there was a resurrection for Jesus, it transforms everything for me because it means that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father in, now in heaven. And it means that um, there is a resurrection for my loved ones. And one day, as, as a follower of Jesus, it means that there will be a resurrection for me too. So that's been my kind of walk of, um, uh, just recently, of still being able to worship God and worship Christ in the resurrection. And, and I just wonder, because Ethan just shared that, you know, times have been tough for him, and that can make us feel fearful about stuff. And I want to encourage you, because everyone is, um, can be transformed. We don't even need to fear death through the resurrection. Jesus takes the sting out of it. The re- resurrection means that we can live in certain hope of the now and the not yet. We can face struggles honestly and openly, knowing that one day God's purpose will be fulfilled and he's going to make all things new. Thank you for listening to the St George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.